I want to begin today by telling you two stories. The first story begins in 2007 with Joe and Brad. Joe and Brad are roommates. They're having a great time uh, rooming together and working in the software industry in San Francisco until they run into a problem. And their problem is, is that they can no longer afford the rent where they live. It's 2007 in San Francisco. Rents are skyrocketing as tech companies transform the San Francisco area, and they're being priced out of their neighborhood. They can no longer afford their rent, even though they're both gainfully employed in the tech industry. So they begin to think, what are some ways that we can generate more income? What are some ways we can figure out how to stay where we like living and still be able to make ends meet? They begin trading ideas, and then one day, one emails the other and says, hey, I have an idea. There's a software convention coming to San Francisco. All of the hotels are full. No one can find a place to stay. What if we become part of the solution? So their idea was to scrounge up two or three or four air mattresses and transform their loft into a chic designer bed and breakfast with air mattresses at greatly reduced rates over the hotels. This idea takes off and they're able to cover their rent for that month. They end up taking their idea on the road and, and trying this in Austin, Texas, in Washington, D.C. They come along uh, with an opportunity to pitch their idea to venture capitalists. And over the next few years, their idea transforms the way that people look at travel and lodging. The company that came from that simple problem is one that many of you know and love. It's the company Airbnb, a company that today in 2020 is valued at $31 billion. That's billion with a B. And it all started with a couple of roommates in the middle of the recession who couldn't pay their rent. Second story happens in, in 1949. This man, Chairman Mao, finishes his rise to power in China and the ushering in of the Chinese Communist Party, transforming that nation. 2.5 million Chinese leave China to head to Taiwan because they were part of the government that he was able to topple. And all Western missionaries are expelled from the country. In 1949, there were about 4 million Christians in China and the world wondered what would happen to the church under this oppressive communist rule. And for the next 50 years, there's very little information that comes out of China about how the church is doing and what the real size and scope of the church is. But near the end of the 20th century, the, the Chinese restrictions begin to loosen and word begins to trickle out, word that blows everyone away. While in 1949, there were 4 million Christians in China, in 2000, there are 60 million. Over half a century, the church has grown 15-fold, blowing anyone's expectations out of the water. And today, estimates are that between 80 and 120 million Christians live in China. Now, both of these stories, while very different in their particulars— the rise of an entrepreneurial tech company and the rise of the church under communist oppression on their surface seem very different. But what these two stories have in common is this. 
that both of them tell the story of someone or something that flourishes when no one thought it was possible. And from those stories, we learn this lesson, that flourishing isn't dependent on what we think it is. We have biases and we think, man, building a company in the middle of the recession is a terrible idea until Airbnb did it. The church can't grow under oppression and oppressive rule until it grows 15-fold without any help from the West. And in both of these stories, we see a reminder that we need today that flourishing is often dependent not on what we think it is, but on what we don't think it is. And it's possible even in the most difficult of times. So I wonder for you today, I wonder how you would finish this sentence. I could flourish now if blank. What have you been waiting on? What have you been counting on? What have you been placing your hope on that if this thing might happen, then you would flourish? If you feel so bold and you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, I'd encourage you to put this in the comments and let our team know that's hosting those experiences. What have you been waiting on? What have you been hoping for that if that could happen, then you could flourish? The reason why I want you to answer that question and fill that blank in is that I believe that we are living through a time when it's hard for us to believe that we can flourish. As we look at the future and the present, we go, man, if, if only this would change, if only this would restart, if only this would happen, then I could flourish. Well, over the next three weeks, we're going to be in a series called Flourish, and I'm going to push you and challenge you from the pages of Scripture to re-examine that mindset. Because I believe as people who are followers of Jesus, people who love and live within the pages of the Bible, that we can flourish in this moment right now. That we can flourish even if the things we've put in that blank don't happen ever or certainly don't happen yet. And I believe as individuals and as a church, even in this season, God can enable us to flourish. And over the next three weeks, we're going to answer this question. What are three things that we need to flourish this year? What are, the, what are three of the many things that we need to flourish? Now, I know that this could be really long. We can't have a series that lasts forever. But God has led me to three things that I believe are going to help me flourish this fall. And I'm going to share them with you. And we're going to tackle the very first one today from Genesis chapter 28. So if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to open there. If you've been with us for a few weeks, we've spent most of the summer in the book of James, which is near the back of the Bible. We're going back to the beginning here this week in Genesis chapter 28. And we're learning about a man named Jacob. Now, as you turn there, I want to give you a heads up on something. What you're going to notice starting this week is when it comes to this main passage that I read or other times where I don't specify the translation of the Bible, I'm making a shift. For the last four years, I've been preaching from the English Standard Version, which is a very popular modern Bible translation. There's nothing wrong with the ESV. It's not broken, and I'm going to continue to use it. However, for the last eight months, in my own personal devotional time just reading through the Bible, I've been reading from a different translation. It's called the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. It came out about three and a half years ago, and I got a chance to spend some time corresponding a couple summers ago with the man who oversaw the translation committee. And I really appreciate the perspective and the focus that those translators brought to this project. 
The CSB is not any less accurate than the English Standard Version, but I feel like it's a little bit more understandable and a little bit easier to read, especially if you don't have a background in the church and you don't have this massive wide vocabulary. I think this translation makes the Bible more accessible. So we'll still use the ESV from time to time. I'm still keeping my copy, but what you're going to notice is starting today, when we dive into the main text, it's going to be from the CSB. Okay? Awesome. Let's dive into Genesis 28, beginning in verse 10. Here's what we read. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. He reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones from the place. He put it there at his head, that that was his pillow, and he lay down in that place. And he dreamed a stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching the sky and God's angels were going up and down it. The Lord was standing there beside him, beside Jacob saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your offspring the land on which you were lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth And you will spread out towards the west and the east and the north and the south. All the people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Look, I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, Jacob awoke from his sleep. He said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that was near his head and he set it up as a marker. He poured oil on top of it and he named the place Bethel, though previously the city was named Luz. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we pray today that you'd speak powerfully through your word to our hearts today. We're living through a time that we didn't see coming and it's lasted way longer than we expected. And yet I believe it's possible through the power of your grace and your Holy Spirit for us to flourish. So help us to see how today, help us to remove our blinders and to be truly open to you. And Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, if I was to summarize those 10 verses into a sentence and help us understand the first thing that we need in order to flourish in a time like this, here's how I'd summarize it. And this is our big idea. That we don't just need God's presence to flourish. We need an awareness of God's presence. We don't just need God's presence to flourish in a times like this. We need an awareness of God's presence to flourish in a time like this. The very first thing that we need for this season to be a flourishing time is an awareness of God's presence. And in this text, we see three awakenings that Jacob goes through that I think are awakenings we need to experience ourselves too. And we see these in the text. The first one is this, that God's presence is not confined to certain times and places. Our temptation is to believe that God is present here, but not here. 
God is present in this place, but not this place. That God is present in this kind of time, but not this kind of time. And what we see in Genesis 28 is that God shatters that myth. And this makes even more significance and even more value and even more amazement in our hearts when we know the backstory of Jacob. And if you don't know it, I want to encourage you to go back today and read Genesis 25, 26, and 27. I'm going to try to summarize it in this section and the next one. You see, when when Jacob ends up in this area that he names Bethel, which means house of God, when he ends up in this place, he's running. He's literally running for his life because Jacob's brother Esau has decided that he's going to kill his brother if his brother doesn't go. See, when you go back in their story, Jacob and Esau have been at each other from the moment they were conceived. Their mother felt the tension between them literally in her belly as she was carrying them. They fought about who was going to come out first as twins, and their whole life is tension. Esau and Jacob are constantly at each other, and eventually things come to a breaking point, and Jacob flees for his, his life. And I have to believe that Jacob's mother is at home grieving, mourning the loss of her son, and, and Jacob is grieving, leaving his family behind and leaving his old life and pursuing a new one. And on this journey, he's kind of between those things, between what he knows and what he doesn't between the life that he used to live and the life he's going to start living. And that's a space that I think we can all relate to. And there's a term for this space that Jacob is experiencing and that almost all of us are experiencing in 2020. And that term is liminal space. Liminal space. You say, Scott, what is liminal space? Well, put simply, liminal space is the space between what was and what's next? Liminal space for Jacob is this moment in Bethel between leaving his family behind and going to move in with his mother's relatives to start a new life and search for a wife. Liminal space is that time between losing that dream job and figuring out what's next for your career. Liminal space is the time between that relationship falling apart and the grieving and healing it takes to be healthy in the next relationship. Liminal space is the time between these were the plans I had for 2020, and this is my sense of what's next after those plans have fallen apart. Liminal space is that uncomfortable time between what was and what will be. And the same thing is true for Jacob that I think is true for us. We do our best to make this space as short as we can. We try to do all we can to spend as little time as possible in the discomfort of liminal space. Let me share with you this quote about liminal space that I think will change your perspective. The writer says, liminal space is where all transformation takes place. If we learn to wait and let it form us. If you think back in your past, how many times did the greatest transformation in your life, did the greatest transformation in my life take place in that uncomfortable in-between, in that waiting room, as we were trying to discern what just happened and where do I go next? And liminal space is where God does his best work 
when we're most unsettled and uprooted and uncomfortable if we learn to wait and let it form us. And for Jacob, his liminal space is where God radically changes his belief that God is only present in certain times and places. And he begins to gain an awareness of God's presence that changes his understanding of his past and his present and his future. So if you're in liminal space today, before you do all you can to hit the eject button and get out of here, recognize you might be right where you need to be for God to transform you if you can wait and allow that change to happen. That's the first awakening Jacob experiences. Here's the second one, is that God is deeply involved in the details of our lives. Now, I think it's easy to believe a statement like this, when you've gone through a beautiful or amazing period in life. But Jacob has gone through neither one of those right before this. And yet what God says to him when he speaks to him in this dream is, I am involved in your life way more than you even understand. Let's look back on the text in verse 13. It says, the Lord was standing there beside Jacob. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, translation, incredibly numerous. And you will spread towards the west, the east, the north, and the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Wow, what a promise. Look, I am with you. And I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now those are amazing words. Like I said, if Jacob had just come out of the best season of his life. But what Jacob had just come out of was a season where he completely destroyed the relationships in his family. His brother Esau had come home from hunting and he was famished. And Jacob was cooking up a, a bowl, a pot of stew. And, and, and Esau said, hey, hey brother, give me a, a bowl of that stew. I'm famished. And Jacob goes, I'll give you a bowl of stew if you sell me your birthright for it. In essence, if you pay me for this stew with a double portion, the majority of dad's inheritance when he's dead. Talk about extortion. But you know what Esau does? He says, okay, just give me the stew I have to eat. And from that very first bite, Esau is regretting the decision. Later on, Esau, as the oldest son, is about to receive his father's blessing before he gets too senile to give it. And, and it's a powerful thing to receive a blessing from a father to a son in Jewish culture. And while Esau is out hunting game to make his father's favorite dish, Jacob and his mother conspire to trick their father, Isaac, into believing that Jacob is in fact Esau. He covers himself with animal skins because apparently Jacob was really smooth skin and his brother was very hairy. He puts on Esau's clothes so he'll smell like Esau. He preps a very similar dish so that their father won't know the difference. And by mistake, Isaac blesses Jacob instead of Esau. And that's why Jacob is fleeing from his family through Bethel onto his relatives because he's leaving that mess behind. 
And it's in that place, in those details, that God speaks the words, hey, Jacob, I'm at work here. Hey, Jacob, I'm using this stuff. I'm not saying it's good. What you did was bad, but I am going to use even the mess you made to fulfill my promises. And I'm not going to leave you alone until I do everything I've promised you. That's how involved God is in the details of Jacob's life. And that's how involved God is in the details of yours and mine. Because God is at work in our lives the same way a potter is with a piece of clay. I was reading through the Bible this week, and I'm in the book of Isaiah this week, and I read Isaiah 64 where it says, Yet, Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We all are the work of your hands. You and I are the product of God's handiwork. You and I are the product of God's intentional attention to details in our lives. And God is going to use the good decisions, the bad decisions, the beauty and the mess, the liminal space, and to us, the beautiful space all together to form us and make us into the people he wants us to be. And this is why one Hebrew commentator said, you could translate Genesis 28, 16, and behold, surely God's presence was in this place and I did not know it. He said, you could also go this way. Surely the Lord has been active in every phase of my life and I didn't even realize it. God has been active in every phase of your life, whether you realize it or not. And when you recognize that, when you embrace that truth, when you awaken to that reality, you become aware of God's presence in a way you never have before. And that awareness enables you to flourish no matter what season you find yourself in. Here's the third awakening that Jacob has. He awakens to the reality that our peace and our power are totally dependent on God's presence. I don't know about you, but sleep for me is about peace. It's about finding rest and renewal in the midst of a storm. And when Jacob lies his head down on that rock to sleep, he's hoping that God will renew him in the middle of an exhausting season. And what he experiences in that dream is a profound reminder that the peace he's looking for and the power he needs in that season are completely dependent on God's presence, not his own abilities. And there's a passage from the New Testament where Jesus speaks that I think summarizes this so well. It's a very well-known passage. It's John 15 where Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Jesus is saying to his disciples and us what God was saying to Jacob 
that if you're in a season where you're struggling to feel power and confidence, when you're in a season where you're struggling to feel peace, those are not found in yourself. Those are not found in your circumstances. Those are found in remaining connected to and aware of God's presence. Because apart from that, we can do nothing. We can do nothing. We don't just need God's presence. We need to be aware of God's presence. And let me illustrate the difference between the two. I think we all have things in ourselves. We said, man, if I could go back to the beginning, I'd give God some input on changing that. But one of the things I'm glad God did when he made me, not in a pride way, but just in a grateful way, is I'm glad that God gave me the laugh that he gave me. I love my laugh. It's one of my favorite qualities. I'm just so grateful that God put that little sound in me when I was being knitted together in my mother's womb. And so from a very young age, I've just loved laughing. And I've loved going to movies and laughing at movies. And I know for many of us, we've been watching movies at home. I saw somebody post this week that their favorite movie theater is reopening and they were overjoyed. But movies are typically one of the the things my wife and I do for date nights. And so several years ago, we went to a movie theater and this was one that didn't have the leather recliners or the pay for in advance. You just showed up and found a seat. And so we got there and it was a very popular movie. The theater was just jammed. All the floor seating was full. We turned and looked at the tiered seating on the stairs. Couldn't see a whole lot of seats for a minute. And then we saw some seats in the very back at the top, which is not typically our place we watch the movies. But we went up there instead, found our seats. The movie started and it was a comedy. It was hilarious. It was one of those movies where you find yourself laughing even louder because everybody around you is laughing. We were having a great time. And after one particularly funny scene where I know I was in full cackle, my phone buzzed. Now I know the movies tell you don't look at your phone during the movies, but I just couldn't help myself. So I pulled my phone out, kind of surreptitiously looked down. I recognized the name and the text and I hit swipe. And the text message says this, hey, are you watching? And then it names the, the movie I'm watching and then it names the theater. Are you watching this movie in this theater? And I type back Y E. S. Yes, I am. And then I write back a second, how did you know? And they just text me an emoji and it's the laughing, crying emoji. They knew that I was there because they heard me laugh. And later we learned after the movie was over, they were sitting near the front. I was sitting near the back and they could make out my laugh amidst hundreds of other laughs. And we joked about it. We laughed about it, how distinct my laugh was. But I was thinking about that story this week. And this is what I recognized that I was present with them, but they weren't aware of it. And it wasn't until they became aware of my presence that their experience changed. Friends, God has been present with you if you're a follower of Jesus every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month of this year. But have you been aware of it? Have you lived with an awareness of God's presence? Because here's the promise we have from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? See, God doesn't dwell in buildings anymore. He dwells in people. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. God's presence is in you. He is with 
you. And the question isn't, is God with you? The question is, are you aware of it? And there's so much bad news in our world today. I'm sure we'll get a breaking news alert while I'm preaching today of something else that's happened. So let me give you a good news alert. God is present among us. Even though I'm talking to a camera and speaking in front of hundreds of empty chairs, this experience we're having through technology, God is present among us. And he isn't just present among us. He's present in us as temples of the Holy Spirit. And here's the rest of the good news. God will always be present with us. He promised us when he went back to heaven that he would never leave us nor forsake us and that he would be with us always. But here's the challenge. And I'm as big of a failure at this as anybody. I often forget that. I often lose sight of that. I often go through an entire day not ever really being aware of God's presence with me. And so I've been working on changing that. And here's how I've been staying aware. A little over a month ago, I downloaded an app on my phone called the Pause app. You can find it today at pauseapp.com. If you've got a smartphone, an Android, or an iPhone, if you go to pauseapp.com and scroll down, you'll see your particular store and you can download this app. But twice per day, I have mine set for 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. An alert comes on my phone and it says, Scott, why don't you pause and experience God's presence? And I click the button and it opens up a one minute video. And I take a second. 60 of them actually. And I close my eyes and I consciously remind myself that God is present with me. I connect to that presence and I come out of that 60 seconds with a different mindset and a different attitude. So this morning, I want to give us a chance to experience this together. If you have stuff on your lap or you're holding a drink, put that down for a second. If you're texting on your phone, just Set that aside for a moment. And I want you to give this your undivided attention. Take a deep breath. Close your eyes. And we're going to experience one minute of an awareness of God's presence together with the Pause app today. Let's do this together. Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. I give everyone and everything to you, God. I give myself to you, Jesus, for union with you. I am created for union with you, God. I give everything in me for union with you, Lord. for now. That one minute for me has made a massive difference. In some ways, it seems like a one minute pause can't be that significant, can't do that much difference. 
But that one minute reset for me has helped me to flourish while working from home and having my kids at home. It's helped me to flourish when I'm not seeing you and engaging you like I would love to. That one minute of an awareness of God's presence, intentionally opening myself to God's presence and connecting to God's presence has changed things. And it's helped me remember an important thing that never once this year have I walked without God's presence and neither have you. The band has joined me on stage and they're going to lead us in a second in a song called Never Once. And the simple truth of the song is this, that never once have we walked alone. Never once this year have we stepped into a day or into a meeting or into a crisis alone without God's presence. And I hope these words help remind you and build in you an awareness of God's presence. And we're going to do our best to answer those as they come in, but we do have a couple. So Scott, you typically end with next steps. We're doing things a little bit different. So do you have any of those for us today? Yeah. If you're watching on our website and you got a copy of the handout, you'll see all of these there. Uh, but I would encourage people to experiment with this pause app. You know, I, I don't get a cut from it. It's a free app. You know, I just, I found it. It's helped me. I'm passing the word along. Um, but I encourage people to use it. Uh, you can go to the pauseapp.com and, and download it. And I just encourage you to pick a couple times during your day, maybe when you typically experience a sense of being frazzled or you're not really feeling God's presence and awareness of that in those times, maybe you're feeling overwhelmed. You can change those around and it's fun. You can start out with a one minute pause. After three one minute pauses, you kind of earn a three minute and then you can go on to earn a five minute and a 10 minute. And uh, just this little simple habit, I think for me has helped me to become aware of God's presence. I'll be honest. Typically I retreat in my house to my closet. When this happens, I put the phone down, I turn it on. I'm lucky to get a one minute pause in before my kids find me. Um, but it's been a really cool tool, helpful for me to be able to do that. If you go into your particular app store, Google or Apple, you may find it listed there as the one-minute pause app from either Wild at Heart or Ransomed Ministries. But yeah, it's been a really big tool. Um, the other thing I would say is that um, you know sometimes it helps to have a look back during a given day. And so I'm encouraging you today to take some time at the end of your day to review your day uh, for signs of God's presence. And so maybe for you, that means at, at the dinner table with your family, a, a conversation of, hey, did, did you see God present anywhere today? You know, I know some families do this and it's a kind of a forced thing. I just would do it more as an invitation than a requirement. Um, but I also encourage you, maybe you get out a journal and you just each day say, I'm going to write down three things that I, I, places I saw God at work, three things that are, are signs that God is present with me in this season and, and use that as a reminder. Maybe looking back is easier initially, but I, I tend to think that when we develop a habit like this and we look back and see God's presence in the past, it helps us in the present moments that we're in to see God's presence more quickly and recognize it. So those are two things for me that, that I've been trying to practice that have been encouraging. So. Awesome. That's, that's good stuff. Um, let's, let's go back a little bit into the message because you had mentioned how you're, you're switching translations mm -hmm. from ESV to CSB. So somebody had a question. Do you consider the CSB more trustworthy than the ESV 
or just more understandable? Any examples? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're equally trustworthy. The last thing I would want to do is to erode sense of trust in the translation you have. And so both of those are well-respected, accurate Bible translations. What I've found is that the, the CSB is just a little bit easier to read. In places, it flows a little bit better. I think that was part of the focus of the translation committee as I was talking to the gentleman who oversaw that. He, they worked really hard on that. Um, and so I've just found as I've been reading it that it's a little bit easier to read. Um, and I don't have any specific examples, but I've been reading through the Bible in the chronological reading plan, and I'm pretty deep in the Minor Prophets. And I read through the Gospels with this same Bible late last year. So I've read through most of the Bible in this translation, and I've just found it easier to read than the ESV. And I think our goal is to be as wide-reaching on Sunday mornings as possible. And so um, a more wide-reaching translation, I think, is a win. So, Awesome. Good stuff. Another question that came in. How do I know what God's promise is for me at this time of my life? That's a fantastic question. Um, and if we were having coffee, this would be a longer, uh, more specific conversation where I'd ask about your life situation, some specific details of what you're working through. But I'd encourage you to, to do a couple of things. Um, one, there's some great resources out there. Uh, there's an old book that Charles Spurgeon wrote called The Promises of God. It's a devotional, and it kind of goes through the promises of God that are, are available to everyone. Uh, Max Licato released a book a couple of years, I think, called Unshakable Hope. It's about the promises of God that were in the scriptures but also apply to us. You could also just Google the promises of God, and you'd see some examples of those. But I would just encourage you um, to dig back in this message even specifically and go, what, what promises were there? God, God's not going to leave us. God's at work in our situation. Uh, God's not going to leave us until he's done with us. And, and God's at work in ways we can't see. And I think those are four right off the bat from Genesis 28 that I think are true for us, even though we're thousands of years separated from Genesis 28. So um, I would just encourage you, make sure you, when you study a promise section, make sure that you see a place where that also applies in scripture. So you're not just kind of pulling that out of context. Some things God speaks to specific people and they're not available to everybody, but study the context of the passage and try to try to glean from that. But there's a couple of resources out there that I trust. Spurgeon's book, Lucado's book, that I think help us do that work to say, this was stated in the Bible, but it still applies to us today. So... Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for that. Here's one that just came in. Uh, this is, this is a good one. How does his presence work with us when we have rebelled and sinned against him willfully? Uh, that's, that's a great question. Um, I do think that God, uh, he brings conviction in our lives. He speaks really powerfully in our lives. I've been reading through the Old Testament, and this happens with Hezekiah. This happens with David. This happens with Ahab. Uh, this happens with uh, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. All these prophets are sent to speak specifically to these kings about what they've done to willfully sin. Um, and so I think God God's definitely brings conviction. And for, for a believer— uh, God's presence is always with us. He says he's never going to forsake us. And his presence is not based upon what we have done. It's based upon his promise and what he has done for our salvation. So I don't believe you can make the argument from scripture that God removes his presence from a believer. But for somebody who's not a believer, they don't have the Holy Spirit living within them. The Spirit's probably working in them, trying to draw them to Christ. Um, but I think that when we're willfully sinning, God's presence is that conviction, that quickening, that checking of our spirit. Um, and over time, if 
we ignore that, uh, we can, I think we can lessen uh, our attention to God's presence and it doesn't feel as strong because we're ignoring it. Um, and I think we all want to make sure we're living in a pattern of repentance so that we're not only open to God's presence, but it sounds super loud in our hearts because we want to hear it. So. Yeah, that, that's that's good stuff. Um, and I'm going to just chime in real quick. But, you know, if, if you're struggling with that, you know, that that's why we have community groups. That's why we make available these resources for you guys to text in so that uh, we can be there to hold each other accountable to talk through these things. Because, yeah, that, that conviction if there's, is... Yeah, if, if, there's, if that's you, that you texted in this question, we'd love for you to text in again, 928-285490. Our, our team is monitoring this, this account. And so if you need to chat with a pastor, you know, we'd encourage you to text us and we can hop on a phone call or mm-hmm. set up a time to meet in person. So Yeah, definitely. Uh, a cu- couple more things. So you talked a lot about the importance of being aware of God's presence. Um, this maybe ties in a little bit with what you just talked about, but what do you think keeps us from being aware of God's presence? I think that's unique to every person. So each of us have our own distractions, temptations, those things that are allowed in our lives. I think some common ones uh, are definitely things that have gone up in 2020. Uh, We're seeing that kind of culture wide, we're all using our phones more. You know, if you have an iPhone every Sunday morning during the church time, your phone goes off with your screen time alert. And so I got mine this morning and it said I was up 14% over last week, which means that I'm on my phone more, which probably means I'm more distracted, which probably means I'm less aware of God's presence, which is probably why I'm preaching this today because I need this. So I think for a lot of us, we've been on our phones more and social media use, um, in my mind, can be a distraction. Uh, we also know that, that news watching is way up. You know, all the ratings for all the news networks are way up in 2020. And, and if you watch the news, uh, Typically, what that's going to mean is you're more, you're more afraid, uh, you're more stressed, you're more anxious, and you're trying to process more information than anybody ever has in human history about the state of the world. And so I think social media, news, and then I think just the speed of life, you know, um, our life speed may have changed with COVID, but many of us just fill our lives to the brim. And because of that, there's not time to turn and pause and be quiet and sense God's presence. And so I would just encourage you to reflect on, you know, is, is the time you're spending on your phone really leading you into a greater awareness of God's presence? Is the time you're spending watching TV, whether it's news or binging Netflix, is that leading you into more awareness? And then it is the schedule and the pace of your life leading you into that. And, it, and if it's not, then, then I'd encourage you to step back. I'm not saying that you should not watch the news, throw your TV away, throw away your phone and, and, you know, walk everywhere. I'm not saying that, but I do think there's a way to use those things that leads us into God's presence. And there's a way to use those things that lessens our awareness of God's presence. So those are biggies for me. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. It uh, looks like our, our last question here is um, just really, do you have anything else that you wanted to share with us that you wanted to touch on yeah. uh, before we close out? Yeah, today? we put our final next step in here that remember where true peace comes from. I think our tendency is to think that we'll find peace when circumstances line up, when we get into this ideal time. Um, but that's just not the case. Uh, I love what Sheila Walsh says. I've got a quote here from her. Who She wrote, peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of Christ. And, um, Jesus even promised us, Hey, in this world, you will have trouble because he did. I mean, his trouble literally cost him his life. It says in this world, you have trouble, but Jesus says, but take heart for I have overcome the world. 
And now that we're living with the presence of God in us through the Holy Spirit, uh, we can find peace even in the midst of trouble uh, because of the presence of God that is with us. And so I think all of us like to think that 2020 on the back end is going to be better than the front end. We don't like to think that things are going to are going to quiet down, calm down, normal, whatever that is, is going to return. But even if it doesn't, I think we can flourish, we can find peace if we're living in the awareness of God's presence, no matter what comes our way. And we have this promise that we're going to have trouble, but we know the one who's overcome it and he's with us so we can overcome too. Awesome. Good insight. Thank you so much for sharing, man, and for, for preaching. I'm looking forward to the next couple of weeks. So we just want to thank you guys so much for joining in with us today. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again next Sunday. We pray you guys have a blessed week. Take care.